Since we saw Jesus in the wilderness last week, he has toppled the status quo again and again and again. He has been challenging everything. How people relate, how power is dispersed, whose voice is heard. And he is making people mad. Enough so, apparently, that the local tyrant has had enough. And the Pharisees come to warn him. Dude, if you keep doing what you're doing, Herod is going to end you. These religious leaders are often frustrated with Jesus, with his blatant disregard for the way things have always been. But still, they don't actually want him killed. So this is our scene. Jesus is proclaiming a love far too radical for the powers that be, and it's hastening his demise. Now, I don't know about you, but I would expect more pushback from someone who's doing the right thing and then getting slammed for it. But not Jesus. He insists that he will continue with this work. He laments the age-old tradition of Jerusalem in rejecting prophets. And then he turns on a dime. Jesus does not want to punish the people who will not listen. He doesn't want to give up on them. Instead, he says that he longs to gather Jerusalem together as a mother hen broods over her chicks. He sees the fox prowling. And his deep desire is to respond like a mother hen. This is his vision, to pull these angry, hurting people together, to offer them shelter and comfort and protection. Apparently, he imagines using only what a mother hen has to offer, her care and her attention, and her own body. In the face of those who would reject him, even towards those who would kill him, Jesus longs to offer this shelter. And they are not willing to accept it. This sounds so familiar. The people of Jerusalem seem to have been about as resistant to care and help as we are today. After years of talking with people in any number of difficult situations, I have heard just how hard it can be to accept help. 
like really, really hard. On the whole, we don't want to need it. We, we don't want to ask for it. And we do not know how to receive it. Apparently not even from the Son of God himself. But why? Why is it so hard for them to accept this shelter? Why do we resist it so mightily? Is it because it forces us to admit to ourselves and then to another human being that we cannot do it all? Or is it because we worry that if we name the need, it might not be met? Maybe it's the discomfort of feeling indebted, knowing that we may not be able to repay the kindness. Or is it the fear of how we may be changed by the care, transformed by the process of accepting it? I have been pondering this brooding love for the last few weeks with the the image of the hen in the face of the fox I can hear both Jesus' concern and his insistence to protect these children and he's, he's also echoing the story of our beginnings of the spirit brooding over the deep in Genesis reminding us of this mothering force that brings forth life. Such is the shelter this hen offers under her wings, if we would only draw near. This brooding is not just protective, but also generative. She guards us, and she loves us into more life. And yet, here we are, 2,000-some years later, I see the fox everywhere. I see the fox in the massacre on Friday at the Al-Nur Mosque and the Linwood Mosque in New Zealand. I see the fox in the humanitarian crisis on our border the one we have caused. And I see the fox in the broken places of all our lives. Where is the hen? If we are, in fact, the body of Christ, one body with many members, then much of the time, This shelter comes from one another. We offer it. We embody it. And maybe, just maybe, we can receive it. Sometimes it seems we receive this shelter in spite of ourselves. 
a couple of years ago, I made the decision to stop drinking alcohol. I'd come to see that for me, especially given my family history, alcohol and grief just weren't compatible. And the change has been a really good thing. I want to tell you about one small piece of that story as it's played out right here at All Souls. See, the funny thing about being a priest is that this job involves alcohol on a pretty constant basis. <laughs> and I'm not talking about our social life. You know, we've, we've done really well with that. We've got the LaCroix. It's fantastic. But I'm talking about this ancient ritual of coming around the table, of blessing and sharing the bread and the wine, right? I do this communion thing a lot, and it's fine for me. It's good, and there was some small part of me that winced, this quiet sense that receiving the wine wasn't actually making me more whole, that it wasn't nourishing me for the days ahead or drawing me deeper into the body of Christ, but it may be the opposite. I did not name this, though, because I am tough. I do not need help. I played rugby all through high school, and I drink a bunch of coffee so I can get stuff done. It resonates, maybe, yeah. And, you know, you can just go and listen to Phil's sermon from last week for all the lies we tell ourselves again and again. And so I did not ask for anything. But as it turns out, this job also involves working with the body of Christ. And so it was that quite a while ago, we were gathered here at this table. And I saw Phil reach first for the chalice of wine and then stop ever so briefly. I watched as he turned the slightest bit and picked up the chalice of grape juice instead and held it out to me as we shared communion. I blinked, taken aback. I had not asked for this. I, I did not want to make a thing out of it. But he knew that I'd quit. And I think he trusted that this would make life a little bit easier for me. In the weeks that followed, Phil took this on as a practice, this little slip of one chalice for the other as he pivoted towards me. It wasn't much. It only took a moment. It was everything. As time went on, this care offered to me in the form of, of really seeing me. It wore away at my need to be tough. This small act, repeated week in and week out, it 
corroded my fear. It chipped away at my desire to white-knuckle it or just make do. So eventually I asked the rest of our clergy and our lay ministers to serve me this way as well. And over time I've realized that keeping this practice with all of them, for me it is an embodied experience of this shelter that Jesus longs to gather us into. For me it has been a space of being known and loved even in my need. One by one, these people have stepped toward me as the body of Christ, brooding that I might be more alive. I was so sure that I did not want this special treatment, this extra hand. But once I was pulled into it, I learned that This kind of shelter sets a person free. I don't know what kind of hand it is that you are silently longing for, even as you are damn sure that you do not need it. What I do know is that this love is what Jesus longs to offer you. To the sick and the broken, he brings healing. To those trapped in the way it has always been, hemmed in by the rules of the powerful, he teaches a way of liberation. As he lifts up those who are low and pulls the mighty from the misery of their thrones, He is looking to bring life, reaching to set them all free. As folks are lost in the wilderness, he searches them out, every last one, bringing them home. And in the face of the fox, whatever the fox may be that threatens to destroy you, Jesus rises as a mother, resolute, brooding, unwavering in her love. The danger may remain, but we are held. So what is the fox that is hunting you down? What do you need to take shelter from? What is the trap you dread? What seizes your fear, spinning it out? Let Christ gather you in. This may be the most radical thing that we can do in Lent. Not to beat ourselves up, not to deny ourselves, but to look well within and summon the courage to accept this care. This is the time, friends. We are deep 
into the wilderness. The fox looms, but so does God our mother. How will you let yourself be gathered in, sheltered, and carried into new life? 